Well, there's a lot of things going on in the world today, and uh, I see that, uh, was it Hurricane, are we pronouncing it Henry? It almost looks like Henri to me, because you know, it's H-E-N-R-I, but uh, it's been downgraded to a tropical storm as it comes close to New York. A few weeks ago, I believe it was, that uh, Haiti had an earthquake. Things are hot up in the northwest, and I'm hoping that we get out of August without a, a triple degree day. I don't know that maybe we've already had one. I didn't know about it, but uh, I've been enjoying this climate change that we've had this month. But it, it's interesting. Our culture thinks it can control the climate. The world powers that be today believe First off, that we are so powerful as human beings that we have, and there are some degrees that we do, I'll grant you, that we have the capability of creating hurricanes and heat waves. And that if we change our behavior and our practices, we can cause these things to stop happening. And it's much like the expectation of Jesus' return. You think you're in the last days, you think you're in the tribulation if things are going bad where you are, right? I, 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 I am sure that there were Christians in Syria a few years ago who felt like they were going through the tribulation. And there are probably Christians today in Afghanistan who are wondering, is this the beginning of the, of the things to come? And I'm sure people up in the Northwest are thinking... The climate is all messed up. But I'm sitting here in Texas thinking, man, the climate's going good. We're, we're getting cool down here. We're getting rain in August. Who would have thought? Praise the Lord. Who'd want to change it? But we have this mentality in our culture, and I'm not saying we, but our culture, and we're part of the culture, that we have control over these things. Our main passage is going to be in Hebrews but we're going to go through quite a few different passages. and We're going to begin, though, and I want to look at what God says through the prophet Jeremiah in chapter 10. Uh, and we'll look at enough of it. You might as well flip there with me. In Jeremiah chapter 10, starting at verse 1, the prophet says, Hear the word which the Lord speaks to you, O house of Israel. Thus says the Lord, do not learn the way of the nations, and do not be terrified by the signs of the heavens, although the nations are terrified by them. For the customs of the peoples are delusion, because it is wood cut from the forest, the work of the hands of a craftsman with a cutting tool. Basically, he's talking about the making of idols. They decorate it with silver and with gold, they fasten it with nails and with hammers so that it will not totter. Like a scarecrow in a cucumber field are they, and they cannot speak. They must be carried because they cannot walk. Do not fear them, for they can do no harm, nor can they do any good." Idolatry in Israel's time wasn't just about 
creating a God other than the God of the Bible, the God of Israel, the God of Isaac and Abraham and Jacob. Idolatry was a way to control the events of the world around you. You had different gods for different things. If One of the reasons why we see so much uh, the prophets of Israel going up against Baal, or Baal as some of us pronounce it, is because he was the God who provided the rain. And in Israel, you needed rain. In fact, God said, it's not going to be like Egypt, where you just irrigate from the Nile. No, you're going to have to pray to me that I provide the early and late rains. Otherwise, you will not have a crop. And so, going to Baal was, in essence, trying to make it rain. Trying to make it so you had a good crop. And we do this today. You have people that try to seed clouds. I don't know if we still do this, but they used to shoot cannons of things into the clouds to try to make it rain. And you had, you know, the Native Americans had rain dances. And we have different things to try to entice God to do things. That's what idols were, and that's what idolatry was, was a way of trying to get the world to work for you. They would go to these idols, and what does he say? They're made out of wood cut from the forest. They're fastened together. In fact, they have to be screwed down with nails so that they won't fall over. That's how mighty these gods are. That you have to attach them to a board, otherwise they'll fall over. They're like a scarecrow out in the wind. They can't speak. They have to be carried. Don't fear them. They can do no harm, nor can they do any good. They can't hurt you or help you. And yet, the the nations put their hopes in them. I would contrast that with the closest thing you could get to an idol in Israel early on, which would have been the Ark of the Covenant, which they weren't even supposed to touch. And when one guy was afraid that the Ark of the Covenant was toppling because they were transporting it in the wrong way, and he put his hand up to hold on to the Ark, thinking God can't take care of his own thing, what happened to him? He died. God rebuked him and said, I can take care of my own box. You don't need to be worried about it. Prove that in 1 Samuel when the Philistines captured the ark, didn't he? He got it back without any help from the Israelites. In fact, he got it back with interest. They gave him gold, tumors, and rats as an offering in thanksgiving that he would please take his ark back and stop the plague among the Philistines. God doesn't need help. He he doesn't have an image that needs to be nailed to the ground. He can speak, and he can do harm, and he can do good, which is the contrast between these idols that they put their hopes into. And he says, don't learn the way of the nations. Don't be terrified by the signs of the heavens. In verse 10, the contrast is even made greater. But the Lord is the true God. He is the living God and the everlasting King. All at His wrath, the earth quakes, and the nations cannot endure, endure His indignation. At, at His wrath, the earth quakes. Thus you shall say to them, the gods that did not make the heavens and the earth, 
will perish from the earth and from under the heavens. It is He who made the earth by His power, who established the world by His wisdom, and by His understanding He has stretched out the heavens. When He utters His voice, there is a tumult of waters in the heavens, and He causes the clouds to ascend from the end of the earth. He makes lightning for the rain and brings out the wind from His storehouses. I think of Jesus talking to Nicodemus in John chapter 3. He says, you know, you see the wind, you feel it, you know it's coming from somewhere and you know it's going somewhere, but you don't know where it's coming from. You don't know where it's going. God does. He brings it out of His storehouses is the illustration. He's the one that makes the clouds descend. He's the one that creates the lightning for the rain. He's the one who's established the world in its way. He's the one that makes the earthquake. He's the one that makes the hurricanes come. Not us. But humanity, what have we always done? We've always tried to put ourselves in God's place, haven't we? We think that we are gods. We think that we are powerful like He is. That we are just as mighty, if not mightier. Some even think we created God in our minds. And then for He can die if we just all stop thinking about Him. I can understand why those who uh, don't know God would go to idols. You know, it, it, it's, it's understandable <laughs> Excuse me, that people in the world who have rejected God who have rejected Christ Jesus and the truth. If you reject the truth, what are you left with? There are a million lies for every truth. Because any alternative that you can come up with that is not the truth is going to be a lie. And if you reject the truth, what have you got left but a lie? And so I understand, and, and we have family members who, who, who believe some crazy things and who have crazy actions and practices, and I, I just think, well, they've rejected Christ. What do you expect, David? And it's a way of helping me to be patient with them, I guess, at times, and, and not to get too angry. It's sad, though. Why, do, why does the world and why do human beings think we have so much control? Why, why does our culture think? It has so much control that we could change. If we just do this and this and this and this and this, we can, we can change the weather patterns. Uh, we see it every day, this idea. If we just do the right things, we can, we can make illnesses go away. We can make disease go away. We can make viruses go away. They're trying to figure out how to make death go away. I remember reading articles over the last year talking about how uh, certain scientists think they're cracking certain codes and they're hopeful that they can extend the human life. I've known some people close to 100. If they can't extend life you know, in, in the early years, I hope they're not talking about that uh, you know, you'll still be the same way when you're 100 and then when you're 120, you'll lose another 20 years of vitality. Now, if they can say a 40-year-old will look like a 20-year-old and a 60-year-old will look like a 30-year-old, 
you know, maybe I'll be excited about extending life. But that's what they're working on. That's what they're spending their time doing. Why? I think we get an answer for that in Hebrews chapter 2. In chapter 2 of Hebrews, beginning at verse 14, very brief, The writer of Hebrews says, Therefore, since the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise also partook of the same. Jesus became flesh. He became human. He dwelt among us. That through death he might render powerless him who had the power of death, that is, the devil. And might free those who through fear of death were subject to slavery all their lives. It has is, it is come home to me in the last year and, and, and change, I guess, this, this passage, this, this verse. Through fear of death were subject to slavery all their lives. Jesus, when He came, He took on human flesh. He became human. He was the, the descendant of Mary by flesh. The descendant of Joseph by adoption. He was fully human and fully God. And He went to the cross to die on the cross. And He had to be flesh. He had to be like us. Flesh and blood. He shared in it. He shared in pain. He shared in suffering. He shared in humiliation. And he shared in death. So that through his death, he might render powerless him who had power over death. That is the devil. That he himself would now have power over life and death. Jesus, not the devil. And that he might set us free. Those of us who have been in bondage and slavery, subject to to slavery all our lives. And, and what's the slavery? How do we have that slavery? What is it? How is it created? How is it made in us? Through fear of death. Through fear of death. So much of what we see going on around us is mortal humans afraid of the fact that they're going to die. We're afraid as a, as a society of death, and so we try to avoid it. Now, you go back to, to, to the ages, you go back to people who said, give me liberty or give me death. He probably still was afraid of death to a certain extent. He didn't want death, but he wanted something else more. I think of uh, America the Beautiful. You know? Who more than self their country loved, and mercy more than life. That, that, that there are people who believe that there is something worth living and fighting and yes, even dying for. And that there are things greater than preserving our own lives. But now we're a little bit more concerned about ourselves, aren't we? As a, as a people. It's more about what makes me feel good, right? 
If it makes me feel good, who cares what you think? Who cares how it impacts you? As long as it makes me feel good, that's, that's good. I've seen recently where the United States probably in the next month is going to uh, um, recommend and start pushing booster shots, right? A third shot for those of us who've been vaccinated. And then the WHO came out and said, hey, there are still countries that don't have the vaccine. You guys are going to take an extra shot while there are people who haven't had any? Yeah, because we're America, man. We matter, and your little pitiful country doesn't. And your little pitiful people and your little pitiful country don't matter if our lives are on the line. That's why we have the mess in Afghanistan today. It wasn't a mess a year ago. But what was the reason? We don't want to have American lives dying over there anymore. We don't want to lose one. We're bugging out. Who cares about you people? You're not our people. Even if you worked with us for the last 20 years. You're not Americans. We don't want to lose ourselves over there anymore. That's basically the justification we were given by our president. We care about ourselves. And to find people who are actually willing to sacrifice for others is a rarer and rarer thing in our culture today. Why? Because our culture is enslaved. Paul said it in Romans 8 that we're enslaved to our flesh. The writer of Hebrews says here we're enslaved to the fear of death. That the fear of death rules how we live. And this is something that Jesus came to save us from. To save us from the fear of death. To save those that he might uh, free those who through fear of death were subject to slavery all their lives. So I can understand if you have rejected Jesus Christ, you're going to still be enslaved. You're going to be enslaved to the desires of your body. You're going to be enslaved to the desires of your flesh. You're going to be just enslaved to the fear of death. It makes perfect sense that our culture today, the vast majority of people in the world today, but mostly in America too, are living in fear of death. The only real question I have today is if we're believers in Jesus Christ, are we living in fear of death? And if so, why? If we're believers in Jesus Christ, are we living in fear of death? And if so, why? Because Jesus has come to set us free from that. He has come to set us free. In fact, uh, I, I mentioned Romans 8 just a while ago, but uh, in 8.14, for all who are being led by the Spirit of God, these are sons of God, or we could say children of God. All those who are being led by the Spirit of God, they're the children of God. For you have not received a spirit of slavery leading to fear again, but you have received a spirit of adoption as sons by which we cry out, Abba, Father. One of the things that has been uh, troubling to me recently uh, through different struggles and different things going on the last few years 
And it's not just this last year. It's not just the, the C word or the V word, however you want to talk about it. But it's, it's when I meet believers who, who, who are just lockstep with the world, And just going with whatever the world, you know, the culture says, that's the truth. And, and I, I just sit there and think, you know, if I'm going to trust somebody, it comes down to the same thing of whether or not, you know, when, I, when I'm talking to people about salvation and whether it was my free will or God's predestined plan, one of the things that, that helps me decide which side of that, because, you know, I, I remember freely making a choice, and yet the Bible tells me, God had a plan, and God had been working his plan since the very beginning, and that was not anything that I did. It was his love and his choice and his sovereignty. And yet I know that I made a choice, and I know that I got to a place where I believe. Here's, here's where I draw my line. Who would I rather trust? Would I rather trust me, or would I rather trust God? Do I want to trust that I did everything right to accept Jesus Christ? Or do I want to trust that God, in His sovereignty, in His wisdom, in His love, has ensured that I am sealed by His Holy Spirit? Who would I rather trust? I come down on God almost. Uh, yeah, I come down on God every time on that one. I don't always trust God. I sometimes do things in my own way. But when it comes to salvation... If you're going to push me to make a decision on who is most, you know, most uh, responsible for my salvation, I'm going to land on God every time. Because I trust Him more than I trust me. This is why when people talk about uh, children and babies that, are, that are, never had the chance to make a profession of faith in Christ, what happened to them? Humans come up with a whole idea about an age of accountability. I would rather trust God and say, you know what, He is a holy, righteous, good, loving God. I can trust him with that child. I will trust him with that child instead of me trying to come up with a story that makes me feel better or makes somebody else feel better. I'd rather trust God than trust myself. And so that's what I do. And that's, that's what we should do in life. If we're going to trust, who are you going to trust? You can trust the world that lies to you on a regular basis. A world, a country, a government, not just ours, but other ones that will create demonic things to destroy human life with the hope that they'll never use it. But they were sick enough to create it in the first place. There was somebody twisted enough to create it in the first place. Are we going to trust them? Or are we going to trust God? who is righteous and good and loving and does not do wickedness. I don't know about you, but I would, I'd much rather trust God than myself or people like me. And yet, we have this struggle with this fear of death. The country has it, the world has it, and it makes sense. But why, why do believers... Why do those who say they trust in Jesus Christ struggle with the fear of death? In John chapter 11, 
Jesus is going to Bethany where his good friend Lazarus has been dead for four days. And when he gets there, Martha comes out and says, if you'd only been here, my brother would have lived. And Jesus says to her in verse 23, he says, your brother will rise again. She says, oh, I know in the, in the end days. I know when the resurrection happens, he'll rise again. You know? and, and Jesus says to her in verse 25, Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even if he dies. Even if your, your physical body dies, you're still going to live. And then he says, and everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. So, so whether your physical body dies, you're going to live. But if you're still living, when I come back, you'll never die. He who believes in me and lives will never die. He who believes in me, even though he dies, yet he will live. He will live even if he dies. And he says, do you believe this? And that's the question for us. Do we believe this? Do we believe that even if we die, we're going to live? That's the one I really want to focus on, more so than the everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe that if you believe in Him, you will live even if you die? Do you believe that? If we believe that, then we can trust Him even if we die. We, we can trust Him even if it's our time, if it's our number that comes up. We see in Psalms where he, you know, the psalmist talks about how all of our days, He knew about them before they even began. That that final day, it was known to Him. He knew it. He knew the extent of our lives. He measures our lives. He is the one who is in control of whether or not we live or die. So the question becomes, can we trust Him with that? Are we willing to trust Him that maybe our plans are one thing, but His plans are another? And maybe His plans mean that we don't live as long as we thought we would, or we don't live as long as we want to, and maybe we don't live a long enough time to get certain things taken care of. Are we willing to trust Him with that? To say, Thy will be done. It's my desire to do certain things, but Lord, I'm here for You. Are we willing to trust Him that even if we die, we're still going to live. Martha said to him, Yes, Lord, I have believed that you are the Christ, the Son of God, even he who comes into the world. Do we believe? Do we really believe? I, I think if we as believers, as those who proclaim Jesus Christ, if we truly and really believe in Jesus Christ, that, that doesn't mean we become stupid. That doesn't mean we go jumping in front of buses because he's going to keep us from dying until it's the right time. No. You go jump in front of a bus, God might be sitting there waiting. For, he's like, yeah, I've been waiting for you to come. Uh, that, was, that was boneheaded. You know, I, my, my dad has this theory that 
Uh, it's not Uriah, but it's a name close to Uriah. It's a, but the guy who, uh, who, who, who tried to study the ark and he died, it's like Uriah, I think. My dad's theory is that as soon as he showed up in heaven, God was saying, that was boneheaded. You, you really shouldn't have touched it. But come on in. You know, he was too comfortable with the ark. He was the son of the guy who, whose house it was in. That, that it wasn't a surprise to God when he reached out and touched it. And God was ready for him to show up. Now, we go jump in front of buses, we might get the same story. That's not what trusting in God means. That's not what not being afraid of death means. What it means is that we don't live our lives under the tyranny of death. That we don't live our lives in such a way that we're doing everything we can to avoid death. Because when you do that, you start going to idols. You stop trusting in Jesus and you start going to the man-made things that can't do good and can do bad. Or can't do bad on their own, but we can do bad through them. They're inanimate. They don't have any power. They can't do good or bad. But we go to them and we can do bad in their name. When we start trusting in, in the powers that we have because we are not trusting in Him, we can start doing some really crazy things. And that's what we're talking about, that we stay grounded in Christ. That's why when plagues ripped through the Roman Empire, it was the Christians who stayed in the cities and took care of the sick when everybody else fled because their hope wasn't in outrunning the plague. Their hope was in Christ and their love was for others. Jesus continues these thoughts. He, and I've gone here a lot over the last almost 12 years. It's probably just been in the last six or so that I've really been in Luke chapter 12. But in Luke chapter 12, what does Jesus tell us? In verse 4, he says, I say to you, my friends, do not be afraid of those who kill the body and after that have no more they can do. You notice the word afraid and fear comes up a lot in these passages. Don't be afraid of the ones who can kill you and after that they really can't do anything to you. He's talking about people, but we could say just as much, don't be afraid of the things that can kill you. Don't be afraid of them and after that they can't do anything to you. But I will warn you whom to fear Fear the one who, after he is killed, has authority to cast into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. Fear him. Are not five sparrows sold for two cents? If not one of them is forgotten before God. Indeed, the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Do not fear. You are more valuable than many sparrows. Don't be afraid of the things that, that don't care about you and can kill you, but after that can't do anything. Fear the one who actually cares about you. Fear the one that knows you inside and out. Fear the one who cares about you more than the birds and even knows when they fall. Fear him. Don't fear these things that come and go from the world, the powers that rise up and fall. The nations are like dust on a scale. You can just brush them off. Nations rise and nations fall, but God is the one who remains. He continues in verse 22, if we skip down to 22, he says to his disciples, For this reason I say to you, do not worry about your life as to what you will eat, nor your, 
for your body as to what you will put on. Life is more than food and the body more than clothing. And then he says, consider again the ravens. They, they don't sow, they don't reap. They have no storeroom or barn. They don't store things up and yet God provides for them. How much more valuable are you than the birds? And then I love what he says in verse 25. Man, I need to do this more and better. Which of you by worrying can add a single hour to his lifespan? Who can add a single hour to their lifespan by worrying? I've lost a lot of hours of my life by worrying. I've wasted days of my life by worrying. But I've never gained an hour by worrying. I've always lost. He says in verse 26, If then you cannot do even a very little thing, why do you worry about other matters? Why do you worry about things that you can't control? If you can't control your life, if you can't control the length of your life, if you can't, through worry and all your struggles, make your life go longer, and remember, this is coming out of the parable of the rich man who had a great produce, and he said, what will I do? I've got so much stuff. I know what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns. I'll big, build bigger barns, and I'll store it all, and I'll live the good life. And the Lord said to him, you fool, tonight your life is due. Tonight you die. Why worry about what to do with your extra produce when you're not even going to live? You can't extend your life. That was the parable. So why do we worry? Why, why worry about how we can stop hurricanes from happening? We, we can't even lengthen our lives by one hour through worry. He says in verse 29, do not seek what you will eat and what you will drink and do not keep worrying. For all these things the nations of the world eagerly seek. The nations of the world are constantly working at trying to get more. We want more trade. We want more money. We want more uh, good things. We want more health. We want more life. The nations of the world are constantly struggling for these things. It says, but your Father knows that you need these things. But seek first, but seek His kingdom, and these things will be added to you. Do not be afraid, little flock, for your Father has chosen gladly to give you the kingdom. I understand why people of the world are afraid. I understand why people of the world go through all sorts of strange things to try to help them, their lives be extended and, and work so hard to have more. Because their hope is in what they have. Their hope is in having more of this life because they have no hope after this life. What I don't understand is when Christians those who claim to follow Jesus Christ, when we act as if we had no hope beyond our own ability, when we act as if we had no hope beyond this life, when we act as if our ability to survive in this life is based on our, our ability. I understand why the world is afraid. But if you have believed in Jesus Christ, He came to set you free. 
to set you free from sin, to set you free from the fear of death, to set you free from the slavery that binds us. And so I want to encourage you today. So often Jesus said, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. So often Scripture says, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid of storms. Don't be afraid of the power going out. Don't be afraid of grocery stores being overrun and all the bread going away. Every time a hurricane comes through, man, the bread aisle takes a beating, doesn't it? Maybe not up here, but down closer to Houston, the bread aisle disappears every time some storm's coming in because of fear. Fear that there won't be enough. Fear that it'll run out. Your heavenly Father knows what you need. And he will provide what you need because he is a good, loving Father. And we don't have to worry about it. That doesn't mean we just sit back and act lazy. But we don't have to fear about where we're going to get it. We don't have to fear about our lives. We may die, we may live. We may live until Christ comes back. We may not live past this week. We do not have control over that. He does. What we have control over is will we trust Him? Or will we join the world and, and enslave ourselves once again to the fear of death. I pray we won't. I pray we will trust in Him, that we will rest in Him, that, that the world around us could see us acting differently and living differently and have hope in our eyes and on our faces and that they would see it and wonder, why aren't you terrified? Why aren't you afraid? And then we would have the opportunity to share because my hope is in Christ. my hope is in Jesus. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You for today. We thank You that we can join together and worship You. Lord, we are, we are commanded by the world to worship many other things. To worship those that are determined to be great men and women today who maybe a year from now won't even be on the TVs. But today they're great and we must listen to them. We must trust them. We must do what they say. Lord, instead, we pray that we would trust You. As we see things going on in the world and it looks like the end of so many areas and so many nations and the rise of others that don't know You, don't profess You, that try to stamp out your believers within its midst. Lord, we can become afraid. We can think we've got to do something. Lord, we pray that the thing we do would be to turn to You. That we would pray to You. That we would hold on to You and hope in You. That we would not fear death that we would not fear the ways of the world, that we would fear You.
with reverence and respect and love. And Father, if there's anyone here today who, who struggles to trust in You, they, they believe in Jesus, they know they do, but they struggle to trust. We pray, Lord, that through Your Holy Spirit, they would trust in You. And for anyone here today who doesn't know Jesus, who, who lives in that fear of death, who lives enslaved to the desires of their body, Lord, we pray that they would see their need for Jesus. That they would see the, 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 the blessings that come by believing in Him. And that they would want those things. And that through your Holy Spirit, their hearts would be open to believe in Jesus. We pray these today, Lord, in His name. Amen.